You're listening to The Gospel Effect, a sermon series about the teachings of Jesus and how they should affect the lives of Christians. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We're doing good? Yeah, yeah. Turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them how great your hair looks today. Not their hair, your hair. Say, in spite of the rain, you're having a good hair day today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I am so glad that you are here. We're in the fourth week of a series that we have titled The Gospel Effect. The Gospel Effect, and what we're actually talking about is how uh, the gospel is supposed to affect our lives. The teachings of Christ really are meant to affect our life, not just certain parts of our life, but our entire life. And last week, we talked about the fact how God wants us to give him our all. And really, if we haven't given God our all, we haven't given him any. And today, I want to talk to you about a message titled, Dealing with the devil, dealing with the devil. Now, some people don't believe this, but I want you to know today that the devil is very real. Uh, a couple years ago, Sadie Kate, my youngest, she had grabbed a, a pot out of our cabinets, a uh, pot like a pan. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, so she grabbed a pot out of our cabinets, and so she, she was banging on that thing, and she was, she was bobbing her head, and I was like, go ahead on, girl. You're going to be a drummer at church. And so it was so cute. I looked at her. It was so cute for 30 seconds, okay? Uh, after 30 seconds, you know, bang, bang, clang, clang. That, that's no longer cute. You know, that's obnoxious. Uh, that's annoying. And so I said, Sadie Kate, you did so great. You did so great. But that, that's, that's enough. And you know what she does? She just keeps on banging. Clang, 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 clang. And I said, I said Sadie Kate, look, I know you heard me. I know you heard me. I, you need to stop. And you know what she did? Clang, clang, clang. So I got up and I grabbed her by her shoulder. And she turned around and she looked at me. She said, Daddy, don't spank me. The devil made me do it. I said, well, that's all right. We're going to spank that devil right out of you. Amen. I'm just, just kidding. I didn't say that. But, but, uh, but again, some people, some people excuse their sin. They excuse the bad things they do on the devil. They say, hey, you know what? The devil made me do it. Remember in the Garden of Eden, man, Adam and Eve, they mess up. And so God comes to Adam and Adam's like, hey, I mean, God's like, what's up, man? Why'd you do this? And Adam says it was the woman. And then the woman, he goes to the woman and the woman's like, Eve's like, hey, it was the serpent. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. But I want you to know today that the devil does not make you sin. The devil is the tempter, but he does not make us sin. So how do we deal with the devil? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I, and I really want you to work with me today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be deep. Everybody, can we handle a deep message today? Yeah. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, you should have wore your waders today, not just because it's raining, right? It's going to be deep. It's going to be deep. So y'all y'all help me out. Y'all help me out. going to be deep. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4. If you got your Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there, if not, the words will be on the screen for you. But in Matthew chapter 4, we're just going to start in verse 1. And here's what, here's what the Bible says. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Now, uh, I want you to remember that. That's very important. We're going to come back to that. But it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 40 days. 
40 nights. Of course, he was hungry. I'm hungry after about 40 minutes of not eating. You know what I'm saying? I'm hungry right now. Anybody else, you with me? I'm hungry right now. So after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the Bible says, then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, that really could be translated since you are the son of God. But he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And here's what he says. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Uh, and so the holy city is Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now, if you don't know a whole lot about the Bible or the scripture or anything, you might be going, man, what in the world is the devil talking about? It is written. It is written. Where is it written? Uh, is it written in the Jerusalem uh, post? You know, was there a paper or something going on? Does the devil blog? Where is he talking about it? It is written. What the devil is referring to is the Torah. He is referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right here, he's actually quoting from the book of Psalms, but he said this, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Verse eight, look what it says. It says again, everybody say again. You see that the devil is persistent. Again, 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 the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and began to serve him. Dealing with the devil. Dealing with the devil. So let's get to it. Let's dive right in. I want to point out three things to you from this passage that I think are important and that will help you. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first thing that I want you to see real quick is one big fight. One big fight. Now, we've got a huge fight on our hands. And, and really in our world, in our society, there have been some really huge fights. Uh, uh, one of the biggest fights that I remember uh, was something that happened back when I was a kid, and it was a fight between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. I think we got a picture right there. Anybody remember that fight? Yeah. So in the middle of that fight, Mike Tyson got hungry, okay? And you can't stop a fight and go to Taco Bell. You really can't do that. Uh, and so Mike Tyson got hungry in the middle of that fight. So you know what he did? He just took a bite out of Evander Holyfield's ear. We got a picture right here. I'm just kidding. Don't look. We're not, I'm just kidding. But I mean, he just took a bite out of his ear. It was nicknamed the bite fight. That's what they, that's what they called it. But it was a big fight. A couple months ago, there was another huge fight between Floyd Money Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Anybody watch that fight right there? Uh, and so what you had was you had a boxer. You had one of the greatest boxers, and then you had somebody who was a mixed martial arts uh, fighter. He gets into the ring with Floyd uh, Money Mayweather. It was a big fight. There are some big fights out there. You may have had some big fights in your life, but I want you to know today that none of those fights, none of those fights compare to the biggest fight that there has ever been. And the biggest fight that there has ever been is the fight between Jesus and Satan. And you know what's wild? The Holy Spirit initiated this fight. Remember I told you to remember what verse 1 says? We're going to put it on the screen for you again. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by 
The devil now since the Holy Spirit initiated this thing, what you need to understand is that this is not a defensive struggle. It's not like that Satan came and just attacked Jesus. No, that's, that's not what happened right here. This was an offensive attack on the rule of Satan. See, Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah had now come. And so what that meant was is that the kingdom of God had come to this earth, and the ruler of this world, the devil, he is now challenged. This is Jesus doing the attacking. This is Jesus on the offense. Jesus is saying, look, devil, you went into the garden, that beautiful place that God had created. You went there and you tempted Adam. Adam is the first Adam, the first man. Jesus is a lot of time compared to, he's called the last Adam, or you know what I mean? The second Adam. And so Jesus basically says to Satan, you know what? You tempted my little brother and he gave in, but I dare you, I dare you to try to come against me. And so here's what you need to understand though about Eden. When sin comes to Eden, beautiful Eden, it messed it up. It messed it up. Sin took a place that was overflowing with life, and it created a wilderness. Don't miss this. Because in our life, when you and I give in to temptation, when you and I sin the great parts of our life, the luscious green areas, the same thing happens that happened in Eden. Sin will quickly turn those areas in your life into a wilderness. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes in to the wilderness. Why? To restore, to restore a dead place back into a place that can be overflowing with life. Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus says, I'm going to transform the wilderness back into Eden. I'm going to transform some place that was dead into a place that's overflowing with life. And, and he's going to do this by not giving in to temptation. But think about this whole story. How do we even know about this story? How do we even know about the temptation of Jesus? Who was there? Who was there? Were, were the disciples hiding behind a bush in the wilderness? You know what I mean? And Jesus didn't see them. Is that how we have, have this story here? Did they see this happen? No. The only people who were there were who? Jesus and Hello? My mic's on, right? Satan, right? Y'all still with me, right? Jesus and Satan. So how do we have any of these details? Who spoke up about it? Had to have been Jesus, right? I can imagine Jesus and the disciples, man, one night, they're sitting out by the campfire, chilling, you know, eating some bushes, baked beans, and some Vienna sausages, you know, and they're sitting there talking, having a good time, and Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says, hey, guys, y'all remember when I got baptized? Because some of the disciples were there. Why? Because they were followers of John the Baptist, right? They were there when Jesus was baptized, and so he says, y'all remember my baptism? The disciples are like, yeah, man, it was amazing, man. You went, and you got dunked under the water. And when you came out of the water, man, there was this voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. And we were just like, wow, we were amazed. And just when we thought it, it couldn't get any cooler, man, the Holy Spirit descended on you in the form of a dove. But, but Jesus, after all that happened, you kind of disappeared. Where'd you go? And Jesus, right here, he, he tells them about this. He says, I went into the wilderness. And right there, you know what he's doing? He's confessing temptation. 
That's important. He's confessing temptation. See, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us. God will cleanse us. So it's really good to confess sin, but it's even better, it's even smarter to confess temptation. Don't let it get to sin. Confess temptation. Confess where the devil tempts you. Why? So that people can come alongside you and help you out. Jesus confesses to the disciples that he has been under intense temptation. He confesses it, and that's what you and I need to do. That's how we begin our fight with the devil. We, we confess our temptation. We understand, you know what? We've got this huge fight. So that's the first thing I want you to see from this whole story here is one big fight. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you want to write it down, I want you to see is two big questions. Two big questions. And these really are some very important questions. Important, uh, really, when it comes to to our understanding of the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And the first question that I want you to, to see here is this. Was Jesus truly human? Was Jesus truly human? Is Jesus able to represent you? And is he able to represent me? Is he truly able to represent us? See, I want you to think about this. Did, did, was Jesus able to withstand the devil because he was divine? Or was Jesus able to withstand the devil because he was human? Was he able to stand up to the devil because he had all these supernatural powers, or was he able to do it as a person, just like you and just like me? It's very important. Again, in the Garden of Eden, Satan asked Adam and Eve, can you really be like God, right? Can you really be like God? But, but what he does right here to Jesus is he's asking Jesus, can you really be like man? Can you really be like man? Can you really embrace your human limitations? I want you to understand that the, the temptation of Jesus Christ, what it does for each and every one of us is it creates a serious choice in life, and that choice is resistance. We get to decide whether or not we are going to resist the devil. And I'm telling you, because, because of what Jesus Christ does, you and I can be confident and you and I do not have to give in to temptation. We don't have to break under the pressure. We can stand firm. See, this past week, I, I read a story about the Union Pacific Railroad when it was being built. We got a picture right here, one of the bridges. They were actually trying to build a bridge that was going to cross over this huge canyon out west. And, and after they had built this bridge, the builder of the bridge, what he did was he loaded a train with, with double, double the weight that the bridge was supposed to withhold to stand at the payload or whatever. He, drove, he, he loaded that train with more weight than it would ever carry, and he drove it to the very middle of that bridge, and he left it there for an entire day. And one of the people who were helping build the, the bridge looked at the builder and said, are you trying to break the bridge? And the builder responded by saying, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. See, there's a difference. There's a difference in trying to break something and trying to prove that it won't break. There's a huge difference in that. And what was Jesus, who was fully man, what was he doing out there in the wilderness? Jesus was saying to every other man, he was saying to you, he was saying to me that the bridge doesn't have to break. 
We don't have to give in to temptation. We can resist temptation just like him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this, for we do not have a high priest. What in the world is that all about? See, in the Old Testament, there was this priesthood. And not only did you have a priesthood, but you had a high priest who was in charge of all the other priests. And the high priest, what he did was he represented all of humanity. And once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would make a sacrifice for the people. He represented Mankind. He wasn't some sort of superhero. He was a human just like you, just like me. That's why he was able to represent mankind. And the same thing is true of Jesus. Yes, he is fully God. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he set all that aside, that he became a human. He embraced humanity. He is able to represent us because he is a human being. So this is what the Bible says. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet was without sin. Jesus, who was fully man, didn't cave in. He didn't cave in. And what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? It means that we don't have to cave in either. I know that you're tempted just like me. How many of y'all ever been tempted before? If you ain't raising your hand, you're lying. All of us are tempted. But, but I, know, I know you're tempted. I know temptation can be very real. Temptation can be very hard. It can be difficult. Jesus knows it too. And Jesus didn't give in. Neither do we, that means within each and every one of us is the capacity to resist temptation, to flee from temptation. You don't, have to, you don't have to struggle with that sin that you haven't been letting go of. You don't have to be in bondage to that sin. You can resist temptation. That's good news, man. It's good news. The second question that I think that this leads to is this. What type of Messiah will Jesus be? What type of Messiah will Jesus be? See, the devil was basically asking him, you know what, Jesus? Are you going to be sacrificial or are you going to be self-seeking? He, he was saying, hey, are you going to use your power to promote yourself or will you surrender to the Father's will. And that's what temptation does to you, and that's what it does for me. You know what I mean? It asks us, what kind of person are we going to be? What kind of husband am I going to be? What kind of father am I going to be? What kind of person, what kind of pastor, what kind of person will you be? Will you use your life to, to be self-seeking, or will you surrender to the Father's Will. Will, I, will I use my life to advance my kingdom or will I advance the kingdom of God? That's, that's what it's talking about. So we've got one big fight. We've got two big questions. And the third thing that I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see three clever, three clever temptations. Three clever temptations. See, the devil may be wicked. He may be evil, but he's not stupid. He's not. He's not stupid. How many, of you, how many of you know today that God's got a plan for your life? Y'all still with me? It's quiet today. Is it because it's raining? Say, yeah, we're listening. Y'all, raise your hand if you're listening. Some of y'all sleeping out there, man. Come on. But I mean, how many of y'all know God's got a plan for your life, and his plans are great? They really are. But how many of y'all so know that the devil's got schemes? He does. See, I know that God has plans for my life, but I also always try to remember, you know what? The devil's got schemes.
schemes. He's got plans too. And he is very, very, very smart. He's crafty. Maybe you heard about the mother who went to visit her son uh, one day for dinner. And when she got there, she found out he had a new roommate. And it was this very beautiful, attractive girl named Victoria. And so the mother couldn't help but notice how the two interacted with one another, you know. And so uh, the son could tell what the mother was thinking. And so the son pulled the mom to the side and said, Mom, I know what you're thinking. But there is nothing going on between us. We are just friends. We are just roommates. And so the mother said, okay. Well, about a week after that dinner, you know what I mean? Victoria comes to this, this boy and she says, look, ever since your mother came, I can't find the remote control to the television. You think she took it? And so the son thought, no, my mom wouldn't do that. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to send her an email just to make sure. So he sits down at his computer and he writes his mom this email, says, dear mom, I'm not saying that you did take our remote control. And I'm not saying that you did not take our remote control. But the fact remains that ever since you visited our house, we have not been able to find it. Love your son. And so later on that afternoon, The mom sat down and responded to her son's email. And she said, son, I'm not saying you do sleep with Victoria, and I'm not saying you do not sleep with Victoria, but if she was sleeping in her bed, you would have found that remote control by now. (laughs) Right? Smart mom, smart mom, smart mom, right? But I want you to know the devil, the devil, he's, he's smart He's clever. And I want you to see what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says this. The Bible says, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, the reason I want you to see that verse right there is because it gives us the three different types of temptations that there are in life. It gives us the three different types of temptations that the devil gives to Jesus. And again, he gives us the same temptations. Look at temptation number one. It's the, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. In Matthew chapter four, again, the last part of verse three, Satan looks at Jesus and look, here's what it says. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. When I look at this, this, this doesn't seem like a, a bad thing. It really, it really doesn't seem very bad. I mean, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Would it be so bad if he used just a little bit of supernatural power, you know what I mean, and, and turned some stones into bread? Would that really be bad? What's, is this even a real temptation is what I guess I'm asking. You know what I mean? What, what is the devil really tempting Jesus to do? Was, was he tempting him to be this divine baker, just touch rocks and bing? There's a fluffy loaf of bread. What in the world? What in the world was going on? Was Jesus in his mind going, man, I really want to be a baker, but I know that's not what God wants me to do. uh, So I got to resist. Was that what's going on right here in this chapter? No, that's not what's happening in this verse. Here's what's happening. Satan is asking Jesus the question, would you avoid suffering? Will you avoid suffering? See, it may not be obvious from really reading this passage just at first sight, but what really is at stake here is the cross of 
Christ. The devil is saying right here in the very beginning, look, Jesus, I don't want you to be sacrificial. I want you to be self-seeking. I want you to use your power to meet your needs. I want you to use your power to take care of yourself. Don't worry about other people. Be selfish. Focus on yourself. You don't have to suffer. You have the ability to avoid it. And it goes back to what we said earlier. Can Jesus, can he truly be human? Can he really, really set his divine nature aside and instead of trying to please himself, please God? It's, it's the question that each and every person is tempted with. And when we think about our life, it's what can I make for myself out of this life? What can I make for myself out of this gift? I'm just going to live for myself and look after myself because if I don't look out for number one, nobody's going to look out for me. Jesus, again, he didn't use his life to please himself and to take care of himself. He didn't use his supernatural powers to defend himself. No, he used his life to serve and love others, and he commands each and every one of us to do the same thing. That's what the gospel demands. It demands that you and I be like Christ. Think about this whole situation. How many of you have ever gone 40 days without eating? I can't really see. Nobody. 40 days, 40 nights without food, without water. I want you to put yourself in that situation. Jesus' stomach is turning. It's, he's so hungry. He is literally starving dehydration has set in. He is in the wilderness. The sun is beating down on him. He really is. He's suffering. He is hungry as a man. And there is this temptation just to end it all, to avoid suffering. Again, to look after yourself. It's a very real, a very real temptation. Can you imagine 40 days? It won't be wrong. I'll just do this. That's the first temptation. The second temptation that the devil throws at Satan is the pride of life, the pride of life. Where is this in the temptation of Jesus? It's in Matthew chapter four, verse six. Satan looks at Jesus again and he says, you know what? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now again, we might read it and think, what's this whole temptation? What's this whole temptation? How is this a real temptation? What's the idea behind this? And the idea behind this is that the devil, he's trying to get Jesus to seek popularity, to really be sensational. I want you to understand what happens here. Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. It would have been basically a ledge at the temple, almost like a balcony. And every morning, one of the priests would go up to this ledge with a trumpet, and they would look towards the hills of Hebron. And what they would do is they would wait for the sun just to come up over those, hill, those hills. And when the sun would come up, the priest would blow that trumpet, and he would announce, hey, you know what? Today is a new day. A new day has come. And the people would be like, praise the Lord. Praise God. They were excited about that. And the devil looks at Jesus. And he says, look at all those people down there. You see them? Just jump off. Come on, Jesus, jump off. And because you're the son of God, 
Your father won't let you fall and hurt yourself. He, he wouldn't let that happen. He loves you way too much for that to happen. What he'll do is he'll actually send his angels to swoop in and, and pick you up. Satan again, he's saying, look at all those people down there. If you jump again, those angels are going to pick you up and the people will see that happen. They'll see that happen and they'll say, wow, this is amazing. Wow, look at that guy. He's so great. We want to follow him. We, we need him. Jesus, again, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to go to the cross. You can be popular and people will follow you. They'll make you their king. Again, don't go to the cross. Just be sensational. Give the people what they Want. Again, it's this temptation for popularity. It's this temptation to get people to like you more. And young people, listen to me. I know that's a very real temptation for you. It's even a real temptation for adults. We compromise. Why? To get people to like us. We compromise on Facebook and on Instagram. Why? So that we can get more likes. So that we can get people to like us more. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's what the devil is trying to ha get to happen here. The devil is like, why would you suffer the pain of the cross, Jesus, when you can reveal yourself in a self-serving display of your glory? Satan, again, he was tempting Jesus to be the thundering Messiah that we all want. We want, we want God to show up. I mean, think about Israel. Israel didn't want a suffering Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come in on a war horse, who was going to come in and kick tail and take names. That's what they were looking for. The devil is saying, Jesus, just give the people what they want. We want anything but a suffering Messiah. Am I right? Don't we want God to just show up and do some crazy stuff sometime? But Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man is a snare. Do you know what that word snare means? Sometimes it means a trap, but that word right there in Proverbs means a hook in the nose, a hook in the nose. And it's this craving to be popular, the fear of man, to be desired and liked by other people, to say what other people want you to say and do what other people want you to do. When we do that, it becomes a hook in our nose. And what's that, what that's referring to is during this time when there were global empires that would go into other countries and they would invade and take others hostage, what they would do is they would put a hook in their nose and they would lead them out of their homeland. And what the devil is trying to do here to Jesus is put a hook in his nose and say, just give the people what they want. Just seek popularity and I'll give you a crown. This is important because later on the Pharisees, what they do is they tempt Jesus the same way. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Just give us a sign if you're the son of God. Give us a sign. Now, if you had all that power inside of you, like Jesus, if you had all that power inside of you, wouldn't you just want to kind of let go sometimes? Just me? Man, I'd be, I'd be crazy. I'm glad I ain't God. There's a lot of people be in trouble. But think about the Incredible Hulk. You know what I mean? Like, the Incredible Hulk, he's just a normal guy, right? Until you make him mad, right? 
Then what happens? He turns green and he turns into this big giant and you got to worry about the Hulk smash. <sighs> don't nobody want to deal with no Hulk smash, right? Right? I mean, you, you don't want to deal with no Hulk smash. You don't. But seriously, if you had all that power in you, wouldn't you want to just let go every now and then? Maybe strike a couple people with lightning? Just me? All right. Give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign. How many of y'all are probably Mortal Kombat raiding? You know what I'm saying? That'd be amazing. Jesus just would have, you know, just hurt some Pharisees, man. It would have been amazing. Give us a sign. You know what Jesus says to them? Jesus says only a wicked generation seeks a sign. Only a wicked generation follows signs and wonders. Jesus says, you want a sign? I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Jonah went into the well for three days, and I will go into the earth for three days. Jesus says, the sign I'm going to give you is the cross, and I'll not be distracted. I'll not seek popularity. I'm going to do what it is that God wants me to do. I'm not going to worry about pleasing people. When Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I have the power to let you go. And Jesus looks at Pilate and says, oh, no, you don't. You only have the kind of power that my father gives to you. And if I wanted to right now, I could basically call on angels and they would come and rescue me, not you. But Jesus in his mind is thinking, you know what? Three and a half years ago, I made a decision in the wilderness that I was going to embrace the will of God, that I was not going to use my life to promote myself. And if God wants me to suffer, that is what I'm going to do for the sake of others. I just want you to see that these are very real temptations for Jesus Christ, who, yes, is fully God, but don't forget he's also fully man. Many times... We think the devil will tempt us at our lowest point, but that's not true. The devil tempts us. He tempts us with our strengths. Satan looks at Jesus and says, you've got the power. You've got the power. You've got it. Use it and use it for yourself. Use it to escape God's plan. Use it to escape suffering. Temptation number three, and I got to hurry. Y'all got to listen faster. Everybody say, I'm going to listen faster this time. That's why we only had two songs anyway. Uh, so here's the third. Here's the third temptation. It's the lust of the eyes. See, Satan brings Jesus to this place, and he's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And, and Satan's like, look at this, Jesus. I can give you all of this. Look at this. I can give it to you. It can be yours. And in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 4, look, he says this. He says to Jesus, I'll give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. See, see what the devil does with temptation number one and two is subtle. But in temptation number three, it's like he just gets frustrated. And he's like, just worship me. But temptation number one and temptation number two, they, they are about temptation, temptation number three. If you and I give in to temptation number one and temptation number two and say, oh, you know, I just don't, I just don't want to suffer. I want to avoid suffering. I just want to be comfortable. I just want people to like me. If you and I give in to those things, we end up being worshipers of the devil. What? I don't dance around the fire and scream and all that. Maybe not. I don't know what they do, actually, devil worshipers, but that's, that's what I'm kind of imagining happening. But here's what I want you to, to understand. Who is the ruler of this world? 
the devil, right? Who's the prince of this world? Satan, right? And so if we, man, am I, tell everybody, tell the person sitting next to you, he's preaching better than you're talking. Tell him, man, come on, man. Y'all got to help me out. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we give in to the way that the devil has set this world up, if we say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to buy in to the world. We are buying in to the worship that the devil himself has ordained. That's what happens. So the real issue behind this third temptation is will Jesus take a shortcut? See, folks, Jesus came to redeem the world for God so loved the world. God had a plan. And what was that plan? His plan was to sacrifice his best so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. If God was going to redeem the world, it was going to require the death of his son. And Jesus at this point could have made things about himself and avoided the cross by literally worshiping the devil and inheriting the world from him. But Jesus says, no, no, there's only one way to do things, and that's my father's way. He said, I will embrace suffering, and I'm not going to worry about whether or not people actually like me, and there are going to be no shortcuts in life. I want you to see again that the devil, he's trying to persuade Jesus to take hold of the right goal by the wrong means. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever done that? Said, hey, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to do the right goal, but I'm going to do it the wrong way. I'm going to do it the wrong way. That's, that's what the devil is trying to say. Look, Jesus, you're trying to save the world anyway. That's what you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And think about Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish man, which means at one time he was a Jewish boy. He was a Jewish boy, and the Jews were under the rule of who? The Romans. And so what that means is that there had to have been many times in Jesus' life when he walked out of the city and perhaps saw hills in the distance. And you know what he saw on those hills? He saw people being crucified. He saw people being tortured. Jesus had to have seen this a time or two and seeing this happen to someone. Man, everything inside of you would say, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that happen to me. I don't want to go through that kind of pain. And if you're the son of God, you know that your father loves you so much and you know that you love your father so much and you don't want to be separated from the love of God. You don't want to do that. And so it's tempting for Jesus to look at the father and say, hey, father, we can save the world a whole nother way. There's this other way we can invite the devil into our plan and we can still get this whole salvation thing done. It's this temptation to become like the world. And listen to me, that doesn't happen. That, 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 that can't happen. It, it can't happen. See, see, we think that we'll change the world by being like the world, but that doesn't happen. It doesn't. You'll never change the world if you're just like everybody else. We are to be peculiar people. We are different. We, we are in this world in contact, but not in conduct. We follow a different way that's often a way of suffering, and it's not popular, but it's the best way. Why? Because it's God's way. See, I'm wrapping up, but I want you to know Jesus was tempted, tempted just like you and just like me. And Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus was able to resist temptation 
not because he was divine, but because he was prepared. Did you hear that? He was able to resist temptation, not because he was divine, but because he was prepared. What did Jesus use to deal with Satan? Scripture. Scripture. See, wouldn't it have been great for Jesus just to punch the devil in the face right here? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be amazing to thump Satan off a balcony? And think, there goes Satan flying. Or to give him a Jesus smash. I mean, you think a Hulk smash is bad, a Jesus smash. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that have been amazing to see? But that's not how Jesus dealt with Satan. How did he deal with him? With Scripture. With God's Word. See, you may think that because Jesus was the Son of God, that when he was born, God had kind of tattooed all of God's Word on his brain, but that's not what happened. See, Jesus had to learn the Scripture, just like you and just like me. One rabbi is quoted as saying that when a child becomes six years old, that you feed them the scripture like an ox. You just feed it, you just shove it down their throat. And so what that means, again, is that Jesus, when he was a Jewish boy, he had to learn the Torah. He had to learn the scripture. He had to learn it. And that's why Jesus was able to use the scripture against Satan. Scripture is the only offensive weapon that you and I have against our real enemy. It's our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. You need to know that the Scripture is mighty. The Scripture is strong. It's powerful. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Jesus said man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that flows from the mouth of God. See, all Scripture is inspired by God, meaning it is God-breathed. When you and I read the Word, when you and I study the Word, we are breathing in God's breath. When you and I quote the Scripture, we are breathing God's Word out. And again, God's Word is powerful. It's God's Word that gives us life. It's God's Word that created everything that you and I know. If we hope to deal with the devil properly, we've got to love the Word of God. We've got to make it a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, the commandments of God. The gospel demands that we love God's Word. So how are you dealing with the devil? I hope it's the way that Jesus chose to because that's the only way that you'll truly be able to resist all temptation. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, but maybe you're here today and you know you've been fighting a battle on your own. Man, life is so tough. It's so hard. You've tried to do the right thing on your own, and it's just not working. And today you know that you need God. You need to claim the promises that he's got for you, meaning that if you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You need new life. 
today. If you know today that you need to be saved, I'm going to ask right where you are that you pray this prayer. Father, today I confess my sins to you. And I ask you, Father, to save me. Father, you are Lord. You are my Savior. I need you each and every day. Father, I want to give you my all. Help me take up my cross and follow you. Hey, nobody's looking around, but if you, if you just prayed that prayer right where you are, I'm going to ask that you lift your hand. If you knew today that you needed to be saved, amen. 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 Father, I thank you for the work you're doing in the life of the people right here. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing at Elevate Church. And Father, today we thank you that you love us so much that you have given us your word. You have given us an offensive weapon to help us wage war against Satan. Father, help us. Help us, Father, to love your word so that we can use your word the way that you want us to. Help us, Father, right now to be your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.